Hello and welcome to Our American States, a podcast from the National Conference of State Legislatures. This podcast is all about legislatures, the people in them, the policies, process, and politics that shape them. I'm your host, Ed Smith. Uh, and no state has repealed no excuse absentee voting or uh, taken away kind of any of those uh, permissions that had previously been granted in terms of access to voting by mail. Some temporary provisions were in, t- in place and then taken away, but again, no permanent policies were rolled back. That was Amanda Zock, an elections expert at NCSL, and my guest on the podcast. We sat down to talk so Zach could give us a rundown on the trends in legislation affecting elections over the past few years. She discusses how the pandemic affected access to early voting and voting by mail, and what steps legislatures took once the most acute phase of the pandemic had passed. Legislation affecting election officials, including measures to keep them safe, were common in 2021 and 2022, Zach says. She also explains the ballot measures voters supported that affected elections. Here's our discussion. Mandy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ed. To start, Mandy, maybe you can talk a little bit about your role at NCSL and the scope of things you track in the election world. I'm the elections project manager for NCSL's elections and redistricting program, which means that I work on the whole election side of things, which is election administration, which is big. It's everything from how voters get registered to vote to how they cast a ballot and how those ballots uh, get counted and those results get reported. So we track policies across the country, all the states, all the territories on those topics. So what we're here to talk about today is kind of the state of election law. I think that even the most casual observer would know that there's been an awful lot of activity, at least a lot of talk about election laws over the last uh, last several years, really, but certainly in the last couple of years. Two big topics were absentee voting and voting by mail. Of course, particularly in the context of the pandemic, became a, um, something that changed in a lot of states. I think it's changed back in some states. Can you talk about whether those are still hot topics in legislatures in 2022? So they stayed hot topics. Uh, They've been particularly contentious since 2020 with the pandemic and everything around the presidential election. Uh, But I have to say things have really calmed down a bit in 2022. There's still a lot of legislation on absentee voting and voting by mail. Uh, They're very similar But we're seeing just a little bit less of it. And part of that is because there's usually less uh, legislation in even-numbered years than in odd-numbered years. Uh, But but it stayed big. It stayed important. I'll note that uh, Washington, D.C. went all-mail. That means that all active registered voters will be mailed a ballot before the election. Massachusetts established no-excuse absentee voting. So that means that there are now 27 states that offer no excuse absentee voting, along with eight states that conduct elections entirely by mail. Delaware also passed no excuse absentee voting, uh, but if you're following the news, you may have seen that that uh, legislation was overturned by the state Supreme Court and deemed unconstitutional. In the aftermath of 2020, there were a lot of people pushing for more permanent expansion of absentee and mail voting, and people were pushing to curtail it. And I think it is worth noting that we've seen a number of states uh, take steps to expand their options around this. 
And there has been a lot of fine tuning. Uh, No state has repealed no excuse absentee voting or uh, taken away any of those uh, permissions that had previously been granted in terms of access to voting by mail. Some temporary provisions were in in place and then taken away. But again, no permanent policies were rolled back. I will also add that there were a number of states that did some fine tuning as well. So several states made changes to when absentee and mail processing can begin. Absentee and mail ballots just take more time to get processed because you have to check the signature identification information on the outside of the envelope. You've got to open it, take the ballot out, uh, flatten it out. Those are all extra steps that add a lot of time. And so a handful of states allowed that processing, not counting, but that processing to begin before Election Day. Uh, New Jersey, Wyoming, and South Carolina were those that did that. And then Rhode Island will let its processing start even further before Election Day. Uh, So those are some of the things that states were doing. Um, They're looking at creating uh, additional security parameters around this as well. So Indiana and South Carolina both added additional identification requirements for absentee ballots. Uh, New Jersey added a permanent absentee mailing list so you can just sign up once and continue to get that ballot sent to you. Uh, It's also known as a permanent sign-on list. So there are lots of policy pieces and choices around absentee and mail voting. And we saw states acting in many different areas. And I wouldn't be surprised if this continues to be a big topic in 2023. Well, it is remarkable how complicated a policy area it is. I think sometimes watching the news, it is represented as a far simpler proposition. Uh, But I I think as you've just demonstrated, it's both an area that's quite complicated and there's been an awful lot of activity. Another thing around elections that has been in the news uh, is election officials. In many cases, I know there's been concern for their security. There have been, as I understand it, uh, quite a number of election officials who have left their jobs because they found that this was not a something I wanted to continue to work in in this atmosphere. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what kinds of legislations around election officials that legislatures took on in 2021 and how that compared to 2022, because I know there was quite a bit of activity in both those areas. Uh, You're absolutely right. In 2021, uh, our attention Uh, And anyone who was paying attention to the news, it really kind of focused in on election officials, especially local election officials, the changes that were occurring in their jobs, maybe handling more public uh, record requests, dealing with harassment, all of that. And that was true with legislation, right? Not just with the news and the media. There was more legislation focused on election officials than we've really seen in the past. And In 2021, much of that legislation focused on penalties for not doing a part of their job, and it also focused on defining the election official's role, so what they specifically should do, what they couldn't do, things like that. Legislators kept their attention on election officials in 2022, but this time the focus was more on protections. A number of states, Colorado, Maine, New Hampshire, and Oregon, prohibited the intimidation of election officials in 2022. A couple states also expanded address confidentiality programs to include election officials and allow them to keep their home addresses uh, private. Uh, Massachusetts allowed police officers at early voting sites for protection uh, that was at the discretion of the election officials so they could opt into having that available to them. And then 
Maine passed legislation requiring election officials to attend de-escalation training. Maine also, as part of that legislation, uh, required the Secretary of State to record reports of threats and to share that information annually to the legislative committee in charge of elections to keep them up to date on what was happening with the election officials in their state. De-escalation training, that's, uh, I had never heard of that for election officials. I, I, I can see the, the logic in it. It was a new one to me, too. What, what were the other election trends you saw in 2022? One really big one was voter registration list maintenance. So that's how states keep their voter lists or voter rolls, as they're sometimes called, clean and as current uh, and up-to-date as possible. This is hard to do because every day people turn 18, they die, they move out of state, they become ineligible um, for a variety of reasons, including felony convictions. So states are already, they already have processes in place to keep these lists clean. Uh, But last year we saw over two dozen enactments to kind of make the cleanup process more regular to find new ways to keep their lists clean. Sometimes that's using jury lists or communicating with other states, joining an interstate compact, things like that. Another trend was early in-person voting. So Missouri and South Carolina had previously not allowed voters to vote in person before Election Day uh, unless they had an eligible excuse or were doing kind of absentee in person um, with an excuse. So both of those states added it. And Connecticut passed a constitutional amendment that will pave the way for the legislature to establish early in-person voting. And there was another trend around prohibitions, I would say. Arizona prohibited automatic voter registration and Election Day registration. Neither of those policies are in place in Arizona, so this was a proactive measure. We also saw Florida and Tennessee prohibit the use of ranked choice voting in the state. There were a handful of states that prohibited voting systems from being connected to the internet. So that's not particularly new, but it was noteworthy. There were quite a few that took that step. And then Missouri prohibited the use of ballot drop boxes. So in addition to states saying, we need to do this, they were also saying, here are some things that we do not want to do that are not allowed. Thanks, Mandy. We'll be back with the rest of our discussion right after the short break. Rely on state legislature's news on the NCSL website for the freshest takes on people, places, and policy. Find out what states are doing about the biggest issues of the day. And check out the Across the Aisle and My District features for compelling stories of bipartisanship and special places and events. Make SLN your daily go-to for all the hottest legislative topics and trends. Just click on the News tab on the NCSL website, www.ncsl.org. I'm back with Mandy Zock from NCSL. Let me switch to statewide ballot measures. I think they're always interesting just for the insight about what voters are thinking. There were several high-profile election measures on the ballot in November. What did voters have to say about those? So voters had a lot to say, and sometimes they were going in different directions on the same topic, depending on the state. So in terms of voter ID, voter identification requirements, Nebraskans voted to approve the use of uh, voter ID for in-person voting. And in Arizona, voters rejected a measure that would have required additional identification information on mail ballots when they are returned. 
Of course, I mentioned uh, Connecticut approving early in-person voting. That's noteworthy because it would make Connecticut the 47th, I think, state to have early in-person voting. So quite a national trend there. Nevada approved top five primaries and ranked choice voting. Um, No other state has top five primaries. Alaska uses top four. A couple others use top two. This is not yet in effect. It actually needs to pass again in 2024. And if voters approve it, then it will become law. And Michigan probably got the most attention. They passed a citizen-initiated constitutional amendment that established quite a number of changes to the state's voting policies. Uh, So the measure would authorize drop boxes, would establish nine days of early in-person voting, and do a number of other things all in the realm of election administration. And then the last one I want to note is, it might seem like a small one, but it's actually pretty noteworthy. Um, In Alabama, voters said yes to a measure that will require any election law changes to be implemented at least six months before the next general election. So most people agree that changes too close to an election uh, can confuse voters, make just make election officials' jobs harder. So it was interesting to see this actually instituted um, in law in Alabama and have voters support it. We did a podcast about ranked choice voting in Alaska, which I think was a um, citizen effort. And then we had the opportunity to see that with both the special and the general election there. So that played out, I think, a little differently than maybe some people would have expected. Let me ask you about communication and information about elections. We talked about this earlier, and I love this coinage about misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, and that all those things are out there. Got a lot of attention in the last election cycle. Do lawmakers have a role here? Is there something they can do to try to push against the tide of this? Absolutely. So lawmakers are important public figures. They're influencers, really, to use more of a millennial and Gen X term. Uh, So they can use their platforms to help ensure that voters get the best information possible and that they're getting it from trusted sources. That usually means directing voters to their local election officials and their local election officials' websites when voters have questions about registering, uh, figuring out where they should vote, uh, how to get a ballot, things like that. There are a lot of organizations and groups in that space trying to help, but the local election official, that office, it's really the best resource and lawmakers can help direct people there. And then also when it comes to questions about how elections are run, you know, voters have those questions, but sometimes lawmakers have those questions too about their own state or other states. And especially when it's about their own state, I really encourage them to talk to their local election official, see if they can get a tour of the office if they have time. I know time's always in short supply, but it can be really illuminating to actually see how ballots are handled, how they are counted and processed, and how voters are kind of moved through a polling place. Um, So local election officials, they're always, you know, one of the best resources for voters and for legislators. Well, Mandy, you've done a great job bringing us up to date on the 2022 legislation and kind of where things stand now. We're now at the beginning of 2023. And of course, as you mentioned, the odd numbered years, the activity, legislative activity tends to be hotter because people are coming into session. Talk a little bit about that. What do you see for this coming year? 
Well, so I think my first prediction is that action on elections might be a little cooler than it has been in the past couple of years. We had record number of introductions in 2021. I don't think we'll see that in 2023, just because the temperature is just a little bit cooler, and that's a good thing. But in terms of topics, I would say I have a couple predictions here. One is that I think we'll see at least one state, and that's Connecticut, add early in-person voting. So that's a very safe prediction. Poll watchers were a hot topic last year that concerns uh, people who can watch and observe but not really interfere with the election process. There wasn't a lot of legislation on it in 2022. There were a lot of concerns around it. And so this year might be the year that lawmakers go review those laws. We know that sometimes those laws have not necessarily kept up to date with actual um, voter behavior. So as more voters opt for early in-person voting or voting absentee or by mail, we know that watchers and observers often want access to those other parts of the process that uh, state laws might not have included when everyone was voting in person on election day. So it might be time Uh, to review those. We know some states are looking at it. I wouldn't be surprised if post-election audits stayed a hot topic um, that refers to the kind of statutorily defined audits that um, confirm that both tallies match, essentially. We saw a couple states establish post-election audits last year. They'll be trying them out this year and in coming years. So that will be um, probably on some other states' minds as well. And then Lastly, I think we'll see more around security. So cybersecurity and physical security as it relates to election systems and uh, maintaining uh, ballots and safety for election workers and everyone involved. Well, some of the stories we read about uh, attempted cybersecurity assaults on the election system uh, were worrying enough. Uh, I hope that, uh, that we're not reading stories about successful ones anytime real soon. So uh, I know that that's a, a big concern. Uh, Mandy, thanks so much for walking us through all this. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you in another year or so and find out uh, how some of this stuff worked out. Take care. Thanks. I've been talking with Mandy Zock from NCSL about legislative trends related to elections. Thanks for listening. You can check out all the podcasts from the National Conference of State Legislatures by searching for NCSL Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Tim Story, NCSL's CEO, hosts Legislatures, the Inside Story, where he focuses on leadership and legislatures. The Our American States podcast dives into some of the most challenging public policy issues facing legislators. On Across the Aisle, host Kelly Griffin tells stories of bipartisanship. Also, check out our special series, Building Democracy, on the history of legislatures.